This is Bigger Pockets Daily, and this Tuesday, like every other single day, I'm going to read you an article to make you a better real estate investor. The article comes from biggerpockets.com blog, but you're busy, so we give you the information in audio form too. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. Meet RentApp, the seamless, secure, free way to collect rent. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. You don't even need to download anything. RentApp setup is straightforward for renters, and there are no apps for landlords to download. Both get peace of mind with a digital transaction history. That means no more lost checks, managing a dozen different payment apps, or even wondering whether payment was sent. Landlords say RentApp is the most convenient way to collect rent, and we think you'll agree. RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Managing your finances used to be a pain. It was either useless apps or overcomplicated spreadsheets. But now, with Monarch Money, managing your money is easier than ever. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. You can even collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor at no extra cost to get a joint view of all your finances. Customize your dashboard, notifications, and budgets with a tap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show right here will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com bigger. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash bigger for your extended 30-day free trial. New bill in Congress seeks to end depreciation benefit for some investors. What does this mean for you? By Lindsey Frankel. Earlier this month, Democratic lawmakers introduced a new bill designed to disincentivize investors from buying up single-family homes. The bill, known as the Stop Predatory Investing Act, would eliminate interest and depreciation deductions for investors who acquire 50 or more new single-family rental homes after the bill is enacted. The bill allows a couple of exceptions. Investors would still be permitted to take deductions on homes built to rent or financed using low-income housing tax credits. 
and those who elect to sell a property to a homeowner or qualified nonprofit would be permitted to take deductions of for the year of the sale. The bill is aimed at increasing housing access and affordability, particularly for first-time homebuyers purchasing starter homes. Proponents of the bill allege that corporate investors outbid families for homes and rent those homes at increasingly high prices, just creating too much competition for would-be homeowners amid a housing shortage. But high mortgage rates and forecasts of falling prices are already causing investors to pull back from purchasing single-family homes. Investor purchases of single-family homes dropped nearly 50% year-over-year in the fourth quarter of 2022, according to Redfin data. You know, the market kind of takes care of itself, doesn't it? Further, it's not clear whether investors caused overinflated home prices or just merely reacted to the conditions that created the housing boom. The bill may not improve housing affordability as supporters hope, and it could have unintended consequences. So are investors responsible for driving up home prices? Let's try to dig into that. Well, it is kind of difficult to determine the extent. It is clear that large investors did have a presence in the single-family market during the home-buying boom. But whether they actually caused prices to spike is really up for debate. Data from CoreLogic indicates a jump in the share of investor single-family home purchases from 16% between 2017 and 2019 to 28% in the first quarter of 2022. This is according to a report from the Joint Center for Housing Studies at Harvard University. Investors were especially aggressive in pandemic boom towns that are now at risk for falling prices. Yeah, they accounted for 41% of home sales in Atlanta, 36% of home sales in Phoenix in the fourth quarter of 2021. The researchers note that large investors, those with at least 100 properties, were responsible for most of the growth and contributed to a reduction in supply for potential owner-occupants. Data from Freddie Mac shows a much smaller increase in investor purchases as a share of all home sales from 26.7% in 2019 to 27.6% December 2021, mostly driven by large institutional investors. But the report notes that investors typically went for under-market value homes that needed more repairs than owner-occupants would be willing to take on. In addition, though corporate investors accounted for about 4%, of home purchases, iBuyers flipped many of these homes and returned them to market, so a portion of those purchases had a neutral effect on supply. Although investors are certainly contributing to the affordable housing shortage a little bit, they're really not the driver of the tight supply of homes available for purchase. That's what the report states. Instead, analysts at Freddie Mac assert that the increase in housing prices can be attributed to underbuilding which limited supply, as well as low mortgage rates in 2020 and 2021, migration away from expensive cities during the pandemic thingy, and more people than ever reaching the age for first-time home buying, all of which ramped up demand. Other experts echo the idea that corporate investors are not to blame for high home prices. Jenny Schutz, an economist at the Brookings Institute, at a U.S. House Committee on Financial Services hearing, said this, and I quote, The growth of institutional investors is a symptom rather than the cause of extremely tight housing markets. So she also noted that zoning ordinances that create challenges for builders 
are contributing as well to the undersupply of homes and that single-family rentals are an important part of the housing ecosystem. Would the bill be effective? So, Senator Sherrod Brown, or Sherrod Brown, I should say, Democrat in Ohio, in a statement, said these things. Our bill will help prevent corporate landlords from driving up local housing prices and put power back in the hands of working families who need a safe, affordable place to live and raise their children. But would the bill have actually have that effect? <laughs> Let's take a look. Corporate investors are often depicted as greed-driven entities that reap profits at the expense of working families. <laughs> if that's the case, would eliminating a tax break prevent these companies from purchasing single-family homes? Or would they just merely pass on the added expense to renters? And even if the bill were effective in getting investors to pull back, would it have any meaningful effect on housing affordability? A study on the effects of a ban on investors buying rental homes in the Netherlands indicates that the measure led to gentrification and rising rent prices without impacting home sales or housing prices. Dutch researchers with the University of Amsterdam and Erasmus School of Economics noted that while the law made homes more accessible for middle-income people, the policy ultimately had a negative impact on housing affordability and neighborhood diversity. While this study alone certainly isn't proof of what would happen if the Stop Predatory Investing Act were to go into effect, the research is helpful when assessing the potential effect of curbing institutional investing in housing. When evaluating this bill, it's also important to consider housing affordability for both uh, prospective home buyers and renters. Whether or not corporate investors contributed to affordability problems for buyers, they are contributing to the supply of rental homes. To the extent institutional investors' activities are likely to result in smaller inventories of single-family units available for purchase, they also result in increasing overall supply of available single-family rentals. This is what a report from the Congressional Research Service indicates. The report also states that these investors are capable of completing renovations that might just be out of reach for low- to moderate-income homebuyers. The National Association of Realtors, NAR, Housing Affordability Index, sits below 100 as of March 2023, which indicates the average family can't afford to buy a home based on median prices. Prospective homebuyers who might be able to afford a mortgage payment if interest rates were lower are now forced to rent instead of buy. Corporate investors may be taking advantage of that reality too, but they're also providing people with places to live. That said, restricting depreciation deductions for investors who own 50 or more single-family homes might make room for more mom-and-pop investors to provide rental homes. That shift is already underway. Small investors with 10 properties or fewer are buying an increasing share of homes, while large investor home purchases decline, again, 50%. It's possible the proposed bill could help the trend along, which may be a win for renters and small investors. In a NAR survey, 60% of realtors observed increasing acquisitions of mom-and-pop rental businesses in 2021, and 52% reported that properties owned by institutional investors had higher rent prices than those mom-and-pop rentals. The Congressional Research Service notes that it's unclear whether institutional investors charge excessive rents, 
But yeah, one study did find that rents go up after institutional mergers in neighborhoods where both firms had owned properties. So there's just a lack of competition within a neighborhood due to the presence of a large investor, and that could be a problem for renters. Is the bill a good solution? Well, the proposed Stop Predatory Investing Act is an attempt to kind of chip away at a problem much larger than the increasing share of investors in the single-family market. It might, you know, not be a complete solution to the undersupply of starter homes. But is it worth a shot? Some kind of argue that the proposed bill doesn't hurt anybody. If you believe taxing the wealthy is a solution to correcting wealth inequality, the proposed policy kind of fits that strategy by limiting tax breaks for mega-investors. And due to the 50-property minimum, it really doesn't negatively impact small landlords in the process. Unlike the proposed elimination of 1031 exchanges we reported on in March of 2023. But then again, large corporations also create more jobs. And an investor owning 50 rental homes is hardly a monopoly that poses a threat to innovation. Some might argue it's better for the economy to let these investment firms go ahead and flourish. So, is limiting the growth of large real estate investors the best solution to the housing affordability crisis? Think tanks like the Bipartisan Policy Center and the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities each note that a multi-pronged approach is going to be necessary. But their policy suggestions focus on reforming zoning regulations and improving affordable housing programs rather than curbing institutional investment. Still, the Stop Predatory Investing Act has support from organizations like the National Housing Law Project and the National Association of Local Housing Finance Agencies. The bottom line? At its best outcome, the Stop Predatory Investing Act may suppress investment in single-family homes from large investors and then leave some room for mom-and-pop investors in the market without reducing the supply of single-family rental homes. At its worst, the bill could negatively impact housing affordability and access to single-family rental homes for working families. There's also the possibility that the bill won't have any effect on the share of large investors purchasing single-family homes. <laughs> and the problem may already be correcting itself, as large investors are already retreating from the market. In any event, this is only one piece of the puzzle. Lawmakers need to address supply constraints, in particular restrictive zoning laws, as well as barriers to homeownership in order to meaningfully impact affordability for prospective homebuyers. Hope you enjoyed hearing that perspective. Before you go, are you interested in getting your personal finances in order? Then check out the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, hosted by Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen. To learn how to save for big-time investments and launch yourself toward the life of your dreams. I'm Tyler, and I can guarantee you, I'll be right back here tomorrow.